Welcome to Inside ADHD, the official podcast for ADHDfamilies.ca. This podcast provides parents with current research about ADHD and strategies for helping their children. ADHDfamilies.ca is a resource website for parents of children who have ADHD. All of the resources have been evaluated by experts in the field of ADHD, so parents can feel confident that they are receiving trustworthy information. Visit ADHDfamilies.ca and follow us on Twitter. Hello everyone, my name is Krista Forand. I'm a registered psychologist at the Can Learn Society in Calgary and also part of the ADHD Families team. And uh, in today's podcast, um, which is titled, What is ADHD? I'd like to provide some general information about the disorder, what it looks like, um, what the symptoms are and how we see that kind of play out in everyday life. Um, I talk a little bit about how environment plays a role in that, briefly discuss the importance of treatment. I'll also provide a few resources for you to check out. Um, but this podcast in particular um, can probably be very useful for uh, families or adults who've just received a diagnosis, uh, whether for themselves or their child, and they're looking for more specific information about what this actually means. What is ADHD? It may also be a helpful podcast for people who are wondering about whether they themselves or their child might have ADHD, and they're questioning whether they want to Um, seek professional support and assistance to get an assessment to determine if they do meet criteria for this disorder. So if you are one of those people or you know someone who um, is in that situation and might benefit from this information, please pass on um, this podcast to them. And so what I'll do first is go into just some general information about ADHD and then we're going to talk more about the actual symptoms that you would see in um, a child or an adult with the disorder. So ADHD is considered a neurodevelopmental disorder. And this means basically that the disorder is present in childhood and it involves impairments, or what we would call negative outcomes, that affect development. The other reason why it's considered a neurodevelopmental disorder is because when we're trying to determine, say for instance, whether a child has ADHD, we make comparisons between the individual, uh, the child, and their same age peers as far as certain traits go that would be normally occurring or normally happening in all children. So when we talk about ADHD, we're looking at things like attention and distractibility, but also um, perhaps impulsive behavior, physical restlessness, or what might be referred to as hyperactivity. Those things normally occur in the population in all people to whatever, uh, to varying degrees, but for children um, and adults who have ADHD, those things occur enough to call it a disorder. And so we are comparing to what we would consider typical development. 
The other reason why it's also considered a neurodevelopmental disorder um, is is because, again, like I said, it occurs in childhood and it affects development, but there's also been um, links to differences in brain functioning in individuals who have ADHD, as well as we know that there is a genetic inheritance of the disorder. So I'll actually talk a little bit quickly about brain imaging studies. There's a lot of information about this, but just for people who want a little bit of background, um, there have been studies that have found differences in metabolic activity in specific areas of the brain in um, individuals who have ADHD. And these areas are specifically the frontal lobes, so those are the prefrontal cortex right behind your forehead, that area there, and um, the basal ganglia, which is a bunch of different structures more in the middle part of the brain, in the inside, and the cerebellum, which if you've ever looked at a picture of the brain, is that little bumpy smaller looking brain that's kind of on the bottom at the end of the brain. So the frontal lobes, many people know um, that, and we understand now that these are important for executive functioning, so that's just a fancy word for things like planning, reasoning, judgment, being able to stop yourself from doing something, being able to start doing something when it's appropriate, those types of um, planning activities. Um, also important for things like regulating, um, managing your emotions. The basal ganglia is important for initiating or starting certain movements. It also is involved in balance and eye movements and posture. And that's similar to some of the functions of the cerebellum, that little brain in the back there that regulates automatic movements, but has also been more recently um, found to be involved in things like learning and attention. And that's, again, those brain studies that have shown that there's different levels of activity in these areas in individuals with ADHD. As far as genetics go, studies have shown that if a parent has ADHD, the risk of their children having the disorder is 57%, which is quite high. Twin studies have shown that if one identical twin was diagnosed with ADHD, there was an 81% chance that the other twin would also have the disorder. And if a non-identical twin had ADHD, there was a 29% chance that the other twin had the disorder. So not only do we see differences in brain activity, but we also know from research that ADHD is a highly heritable disorder. Um, some people may not necessarily know, well, how often does ADHD occur in the population? And there are obviously many different studies um, and based on um, the techniques of the study have come up with slightly different numbers. Um, but basically the best sort of estimate that we have is that the prevalence or the amount that it occurs in our population is around 5 to 7% with children and between about 3 to 5% in adults. Um, and speaking about adults, um, you can tell there that the, the estimates were slightly lower 
they're for adults versus children, but it is really important to understand that ADHD is a disorder that does persist and continue into adulthood, and it is considered a lifelong disorder. Now, adults may be less impaired if they are able to choose environments that suit their needs and sort of um, play on their strengths and downplay their challenges. Um, but they still will find difficulties with daily tasks that require planning, time management, those kinds of things. You may also see with adults that symptoms might shift a little bit. So the symptoms of hyperactivity that are originally described in childhood may be more experienced by adults as a physical restlessness or a need to be busy or to always be doing something, um, not being able to really just settle. So there's different um, experiences of those symptoms depending on your age. And uh, perhaps in the future we'll do a podcast about ADHD across the lifespan to kind of show that there are differences. Um, and that's why it's so important to understand the age as well as the gender of the person who's being assessed for this disorder. Um, before I move on to talk specifically about symptoms and the idea of impairment, I want to just mention that even though we treat ADHD as a categorical disorder, which means we either say, yes, you have it, or no, you don't, so you're either in the yes category or the no category, it is best understood more um, along the lines of a dimension or a spectrum or a continuum. Um, and I think I alluded to this earlier with the idea that all the traits that we're sort of discussing are traits that normally occur in the everyday population. So attention um, uh, skills or abilities are, are on a spectrum, meaning that there are people who have really great attention skills, um, they have great ability to manage their behavior, they've got good planning and time management skills, and then we have people who struggle with those types of things. Most people are probably somewhere in the middle, and we have people who are really good at it and people who really struggle. And the people who really struggle, somewhere along in there, are likely to be picked up as having the disorder. But these are traits that we all experience. We all at times have difficulty being on time or planning ahead, or sometimes we say things that we later regret. The question becomes, how often are those things occurring? And are they occurring so much, so often, that they cause distress, stress, uh, what we call impairment, for the person? And, and is it that noticeable to the person and to other people who are in that person's life? So along those lines, when we talk about symptoms and impairment, we need to understand the difference between symptoms, which are certain behaviors, such as being distracted or blurting out in class, and the impairment, which is the consequence or the outcomes of symptoms. So 
uh, let's for example say the symptom of being easily distracted, so you're trying to get your homework done, but you notice a bird flying out the window or something sitting on your desk and it pulls you away from that activity. So that's the symptom, the behavior. And the impairment is that, well, it could be a few different things. For example, it could be that it takes you longer to get the homework done because you're being pulled away from it. Or perhaps you don't get it done. That's the consequence of the symptom. So in order to meet criteria for diagnosis of ADHD, the child or adult has to have um, a certain amount of symptoms. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they also have to have those consequences of the symptoms, whether it's unfinished tasks or um, even issues with relationships and uh, peer relationships or family relationships, those kinds of things. So when we talk about the actual uh, diagnosis of ADHD, currently right now the way we're sort of um, organizing it and understanding it is we talk about three different presentations of the disorder. Um, in previous um, sort of understandings, we used to talk about subtypes, but now we're understanding, um, because like I said earlier, that in certain times of life, particularly adulthood, you'll see a difference or a shift in the types of symptoms. You could see a different presentation of the disorder, even though we just call it ADHD. So the three presentations are um, predominantly inattentive presentation, predominantly hyperactive impulsive presentation, and a combined presentation, which is the first two together. Uh, combined and inattentive are more often seen. Hyperactive impulsive presentation is less common. Um, and research has shown that there is stability of this diagnosis over time. But like I said before, there may be a shift or a change in the way that ADHD is presented in everyday life for a person based on a number of things, but it could be their gender, their age, and also the environment that they are living in and working in. And so that is why we sort of have gone to more of an idea of presentations rather than discrete subtypes. So now let's look at sort of the different clusters of symptoms that make up those presentations. The first area we'll look at is hyperactive impulsive symptoms. Um, so just wanted to describe some of those so that if there's any misunderstanding about what those look like, that can sort of be cleared up. Because again, um, and I'm not going to go into a lot of myths about ADHD in this podcast, but there are certain sort of misunderstandings in the general public knowledge about ADHD, and it's important to understand what it actually looks like um, on a daily basis for a child or an adult. Um, so I'll start here with the hyperactive impulsive symptoms. So these are things like acting or engaging in an activity before the instructions are completed. So this would be if you were working with a child and you were showing them how to complete, um, let's say, a particular math problem and there was a few different steps that you needed to show them, that they might be showing that they want to get started before you finish those instructions. They might actually grab a pencil out of your hand and start doing it. They might be um, 
looking sort of <laughs> urgent in their chair, wanting to get going on it, those types of things. You might also see making impulsive errors when completing work. So for children, it might be that they um, aren't as careful in their responding, so they might think an answer in their mind, maybe they think the answer is 7, but they some for some reason write down 17. So they might have got the answer right, but then in the sort of output of putting down the answer on paper, it was wrong. Um, other hyperactive impulsive symptoms could be taking risky chances on a whim or a dare from a peer those kinds of things, even though that child may not necessarily um, be wanting to do something, you know, say, mean or malicious, they might end up doing something because someone's dared them to do it. And later, um, often, many of these children do regret things that they've done or said um, after they're able to sort of look at it, but in the moment, they can't think ahead and see the consequence of that action. Um, the other sort of hyperactive impulsive symptom that we see a lot is waiting for turns. So waiting for your turn in a game, um, waiting in lineups, pretty much having to wait for anything is very difficult for a lot of people with ADHD. Um, and this is sort of related to that one. Individuals with ADHD often opt for more immediate rewards rather than to continue with tasks that lead to a long-term reward. So if there's a task that they can engage in that gets them a reward, something um, pleasant or positive quickly in a short amount of time, they're more op uh, apt to go that route than to engage in behaviors or tasks that sort of build up over time to eventually meet a long-term reward or goal. That uh, often related to that is individuals with ADHD may try to take shortcuts or find ways to do the least amount of work possible. Um, which I was speaking to one of my colleagues about this and she actually mentioned that it's important to also understand that sometimes that might actually come in handy and can be a positive trait if used properly. And she was saying that because many um, individuals who don't have ADHD might just stick to the same old way of doing things and not necessarily um, see that there might be a better or quicker way of doing it. So you can see how that desire to sort of not be stuck in tedious, boring tasks that take forever to finish might actually motivate a person with ADHD to find a, um, a quicker, more efficient way of completing those tasks. But again, it has to be sort of executed at the right time for the right reasons. Otherwise, that sort of trait of taking shortcuts is typically more impairing to those individuals. Uh, children and adults with ADHD also may blurt out. Um, so kids might blurt out in class while the teacher is teaching, or they might say things without really thinking and later regret it. So those are some of those things to consider when you're looking at hyperactive and impulsive symptoms. Now when you look at inattentive symptoms, they are a bit different, 
but you could see how sometimes they do relate to the hyperactive impulsive symptoms and overall contribute to uh, difficulty in daily life. So an inattentive symptoms would be that these individuals are typically off task or they may jump around from one activity to the next without actually finishing any of them. So the difficulty there is with the getting started, persisting on an activity, which means sticking with it, and actually finishing the task. So they have a hard time staying focused and persisting on something, particularly when it's boring to them. So we're looking more at the goal-directed or on-task behavior. Um, individuals with ADHD are often more easily distracted, meaning that they're going to react to distracting events or things in the environment rather than continuing to persist toward the goal. So they're going to be the individuals who see the bird flying out the window or see something interesting on their desk or maybe they hear a sound or somebody walks by the door and they get pulled away from the task that they're doing which is a goal that has some kind of goal built in. And that's how we have problems with getting things done. But it can also relate to things like the careless errors that I mentioned before, because they're constantly having their attention pulled away to something else. You might also see, see things like daydreaming or zoning out in class or for adults say in longer meetings that require a lot of sitting and listening to people talking. Um, misplacing of personal belongings, so there's an, um, an element of forgetfulness there that kids and adults with ADHD aren't necessarily paying attention to where they're putting their items and then later when they need those items they can't immediately recall where it is. And something that um, Russell Barkley, who's a leading expert in ADHD, also mentioned that is related to these inattentive symptoms is impaired working memory. So that ability to hold information in your mind about what you're doing right now in this moment. And he relates that to that idea of if you have difficulties with working memory and you get easily distracted when you're engaging in a um, a, a goal or a task that you're doing to reach a goal, then you're going to have a lot of difficulty remembering when the distraction is over to pull yourself back to that task. And that's why there's a lot of um, reports of these individuals jumping from one activity to the next without really finishing them. So those are the two main areas of symptoms um, that you need to have in order to have the diagnosis of ADHD, the hyperactive impulsive symptoms, and the inattentive symptoms. And if you have enough of both, then you would have the combined presentation. And if you only have um, a cluster in one or the other, you would have that presentation, either inattentive or the hyperactive impulsive. Now, it's also important to remind people that Executive functions are also a big part of ADHD. It's not just about um, attention problems. It's about planning, organizing, time management, prioritizing, 
and also managing behavior and emotions, so deciding when to act and when not to act, which is this um, idea of inhibition, being able to inhibit certain behaviors that in a particular moment in your day may be counterproductive to achieving your goals. And it's also important to remember that ADHD is a disorder of output, meaning how information is used to guide behavior towards a future goal. It's not a deficit in skills or knowing what to do or how to do it. It's a deficit in performing those skills at the right time. So it's a problem with execution. Now, unless a an individual also has, say, a learning disability, then they would also have some difficulties perhaps with skills, like they may have difficulty with reading. But ADHD in and of itself is more of a disorder of performance or output uh, rather than a problem of knowing how or what to do. And particularly, again, Russell Barkley reminds us that it's important to remember that Individuals with ADHD often have difficulty seeing the future, particularly the more distant future, which means looking ahead and planning their behavior accordingly to meet future goals. And the other thing to remember too that I haven't brought up yet is even though our current understanding or our current diagnostic criteria that we do use to identify ADHD in children and adults mainly focuses on hyperactive, impulsive, and inattentive symptoms. Some more recent research and experts in this area are showing that the importance of understanding how individuals with ADHD also have difficulty regulating their emotions. So you'll see this in things like being impatient or getting easily frustrated and they have impulsive emotions that lead to negative outcomes. And particularly for individuals who do have that problem, they have the most difficulties often with social relationships because they're having a lot of quick reactions to things um, that pose uh, negative interactions with family, peers, coworkers, things like that. And so that's an area that um, is a new part of research for ADHD, but it's been said for quite some time by experts in the field that we really should uh, consider the difficulties with emotion regulation, self-regulation in individuals with ADHD, and at some point in the future many of these um, experts are hoping that our diagnostic criteria will reflect those difficulties and not just the symptoms of hyperactive impulsive uh, symptoms and inattentive symptoms. But it's just something to keep in mind. So when you see um, a child or an adult who has ADHD and is having difficulty regulating their emotions, this has come to be understood as part of the disorder and not something separate from it. I did want to make a few quick comments about ADHD and the environment. Um, our current criteria state that these symptoms that I've previously just talked about must be present in two or more settings. 
And that makes sense because we view ADHD as a neurological or neurodevelopmental disorder. So in that understanding, it needs to be present in different aspects of the child's or adult's life. So for instance, if it was only present in one setting, say at school but not at home or vice versa, you, we need to consider whether the environment is the source of the difference or an actual uh, disorder. But with that being said, consideration should also be taken for the level of support that's being provided or has been historically provided in certain environments where symptoms aren't showing up or they're um, less severe. So for example, there might be a case where a child doesn't have a lot of symptoms being reported in the home environment and there may be many reasons for that. Perhaps the parents have over the years come to provide a level of support that supports that child so much that those symptoms are barely showing up in that environment. That could also be the case at school as well, but typically you see it more in the home when there's more um, ability to have one-on-one -on -one support and um, uh, more expectations within the home environment. Also speaking about environment, um, it's important to understand what kind of environments children and adults with ADHD have more difficulty with. And generally speaking, I can just make a blanket statement that says environmental settings that require more self-regulation on the part of the individual who has ADHD will be the most difficult for children with ADHD. So when they're being asked to perform tasks that are not intuitively to them, leading to an immediate reward that's appealing to them, uh, those kinds of things, so doing schoolwork or homework or tedious work tasks. For adults, it could be paying bills, those kinds of things. It might be environments where they're not allowed to move around a lot or they're expected to be quiet. So sitting in a lecture hall where it's socially expected that everybody sits quietly and listens. Or perhaps church or other religious services, those kinds of things. So when we know that that is the case, then we must also decide what kinds of supports and accommodations are going to be given to the child or the adult who has ADHD when they're being placed into settings where they're required a higher level of self-regulation. So one example might be um, an adult who has to sit in very long work meetings might um, let their supervisor know that at times they might have to go and stand at the back of the room just to give their body a break from sitting for that long, those kinds of things. And it's also important to understand that the more novel or new um, and unfamiliar a setting is, the fewer um, behaviors that are related to ADHD will be displayed. Children with ADHD often do better in settings or situations that are new to them, and particularly if they're receiving one-to-one -one attention. So those things need to be taken in consideration well as well when you're considering a diagnosis of the disorder. And we need to look specifically at more at the situations 
where children are familiar with the people, familiar with the tasks, the environment, and seeing are those behaviors being displayed. Because in the more novel, unfamiliar settings, they might have a better um, experience and less symptoms present. So before I conclude, I just wanted to quickly mention a bit about treatment and then I will provide just a couple of resources um, that I base this presentation on. So I think I've mentioned it in previous podcasts, but basically treatment typically involves a combination of specific behavioral and educational strategies as well as medication. And of course, it's always up to the individual families to decide if medication should be a part of treatment. And I encourage parents to speak with their family physician or pediatrician about various options for medication. It's also important, in addition to those strategies and medication, to look at lifestyle um, changes and choices that will help children with their attention difficulties and their hyperactivity impulsive symptoms. So we need to ensure that children receive adequate sleep, but that sleep that is also consistent. So same bedtime and same time getting up in the morning. Regular physical activity and a healthy balanced diet. And this is also true for adults with attention um, problems and, and diagnosed ADHD as well. But because this podcast is mainly about general information about what ADHD is, I wanted to really um, communicate the importance that when beginning treatment for ADHD, it's really important for parents and children or adults who have ADHD to take some time to learn more about the disorder. This way, parents and their children will understand what it is that they're actually trying to treat. And so, for instance, if you're trying a particular behavior strategy or educational strategy or perhaps you're trialing different medications, you're actually going to know what you're trying to look for to see if those things are changing or not, um, which will make those trials more efficient for parents and children. And you'll also be able to better understand how ADHD presents in your child as um, I believe every child is unique and they have their own unique experiences with ADHD. So that's really important to understand as well. And the more you know about ADHD, the better equipped you'll, you will be able to treat it. And so listening to this podcast for some of you may be a great first place to start. So I do want to say thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope the information was a helpful, good place to kind of start to get a bit of a framework around what ADHD is. Um, for further information, visit our website, adhdfamilies.ca. There's a section there about ADHD and myths, which might also be helpful for people who are just newly starting to learn about the diagnosis um, so they can start to understand what's true and what isn't true about the diagnosis. Uh, another good resource to check out is cadra.ca, which is the Canadian ADHD Resource Alliance. So it's www.cadra.ca. They are um, targeted mainly to physicians who are 
working with patients in their practice who have ADHD, but CADRA also has a lot of great resources for parents as well. And another site that may be helpful is kadak.ca, so it's www.caddac.ca, and that's the Centre for ADHD Awareness Canada. And I just wanted to also reference a few uh, materials that I used to pull together some of the stats for the presentation. Um, one of the books I was looking at was AD, um, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, A Handbook for Diagnosis and Treatment, 4th edition, and Russell Barkley is the editor on that one, as well as a video um, titled ADHD from A to Z, Advances in the Understanding and Management of Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, a video presentation given by Russell Barkley in 2011 when he visited the Learning Disabilities Association of Alberta in Edmonton. Uh, this video is available in DVD form at CanLearn Society's Learning Links Library, so if you're in the Calgary area, you can uh, visit our website and find the address for where we're located. Um, and the website for that is www.canlearnsociety.ca. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Inside ADHD, the official podcast for ADHDfamilies.ca. For more information about ADHD and how to help your child, visit ADHDfamilies.ca and follow us on Twitter.